The reading this evening is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. That's on page 1158 of the Church Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the Church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I find Paul's reaction to suffering in verse 9 astonishing. Uh, it's a real surprise when I read it. Um, have a look at it again. It's on page 1158. It says this in verse 9. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul says, uh, we're not told what his suffering is, but, but he tells us that in his heart he felt the sentence of death. He thought this was it. His suffering was so bad, he thought this was his last moments. Just imagine that. And in verse 8, he tells us um, that he, was, he, he suffered uh, to such a great extent that he despaired even of life. I'm reasonably young still, and I've only suffered in very limited ways. I can't say I've ever get, got to the extent of despairing of life itself. But here is the Apostle Paul suffering to the extent that he despairs of his own life. Just imagine that. Imagine for some of us, it might not be too difficult to imagine. But what's Paul's reaction to his suffering. Do you see what he does in verse 9? He says this, he says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So there's no moment of bitterness, no moment of cursing, but he says there was a purpose in his suffering. He says that it taught him something, it taught him to rely on, him, uh, on God and not himself. 
And in verse 10, he he erupts into praise of this God. He says this, he says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. See, Paul in his suffering, he went to the abyss. The darkness closed in on him. And at that point, he is so confident of God's goodness, so confident of God's purposes in his suffering. Now, you might be very different to me, but I don't react this way when suffering comes. When suffering comes to me, I, um, again, albeit in limited ways, when suffering has come, those three words pop into my head. Something is wrong. And I start to think to myself, well, well, something must be wrong with me. And maybe I've committed a a sin and, and I think God is kind of getting me back for it. Or then I think to myself, well, maybe it's something I've not done that I haven't spotted. And God's kind of using this suffering to kind of beat me up about it. But then my thoughts turn to God. And then I think to myself, well, maybe God um, is slightly out of control here. Maybe this bit of suffering is something he, he can't deliver me from. Maybe he's taken his eye off the ball. And what that does, it, it puts a distance between me and God. Uh, The point I need God most, the point in which I face suffering, is so often the point in which I doubt his good purpose towards me. You might be the same too. But it's not just Christians who think like that. Um, I know I said these sort of things as a non-Christian, and and I hear it all the time. People say, why does this happen? Why does uh, bad things have to happen to good people? Lots of people speak like that. And what what it does, it puts a gap between us and God at the point when suffering hits. Did you notice Paul's reaction? See, Paul, when when suffering hits Paul, the gap closes. It's the opposite to my reaction. He faces suffering knowing that God is working for his good in it. I don't know about you, but... I want some of this. When I face suffering, I want to draw closer to God. I want to be confident of his good purposes towards me. And so what I want us to see tonight is how Paul gets there. And I want us to see two things. First, um, that suffering means we experience God's comfort. And suffering means that we uh, have an opportunity to comfort others. And you'll find those points on the, the back of the service sheet. First of all then, suffering means that we experience God's comfort. Have a look at verse 3 with me. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So the truth of the Bible is that God comforts his children. He's personally invested in comforting his children. Notice it's not a little bit of comfort. It's not that you have to catch God in the right mood. It's not that God's comfort ends. It's all comfort. It's never-ending comfort. It's infinite comfort. And notice it's it's not just certain situations that God can help with, that, that he can help you with certain things, but 
other things are out of his control. No, he says, verse 4, he comforts us in all our troubles. I just think this is sometimes hard to appreciate. It's, when it comes to suffering, these are sometimes just words to me. But you've really got to get in the heads of the people reading this letter for the first time. It was, it was written to a place called Corinth. Now, Corinth was a kind of cosmopolitan city. It was very multicultural. It was a port city, and, and lots of people would come into it. And there would be lots of deities, and lots of gods controlling different parts of life. And people would offer sacrifices to those gods. But there, there was no sense in which those gods were, were here to personally comfort people. But here's God comforting his children. There's a lot of images the Bible uses um, for God's comfort he shows. One of my favorites comes from Isaiah 66. You don't have to look at it with me. Um, but it says this, Isaiah 66, verse 13. As a mother comforts her child... This is God speaking. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. God says that, that like a mother, he will comfort his children. We probably know what that feels like, uh, this kind of comfort a mother can bring. I see it all the time with my kids. My kids, they put their hand in a door frame or, or, or run into the wall or, or something like that. And um, they, they, they start crying, you know that point in which they kind of, you see it happen and there's a big pause before the, the tears start to come and that's, uh, you know, it's going to be pretty bad. But they, they, they scream out and uh, I'll put my hands out to kind of comfort them and they'll run straight past me, straight to their mother and I'll try to not get too offended. But they do that because they know the comfort that only she could bring and they bury their head in her arms and God uses that picture of himself. He comforts his children. He's personally invested in comfort in you through your suffering. But here's the, here's the rub, here's the thing. That comfort comes most, that comfort is felt most when we suffer most deeply. And I want us to see that. It's in verse 5. Have a look at it with me. He says this, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. As you see there, there's a direct relationship, isn't there? Uh, he says that as our sufferings increase, so too does our comfort increase. You know, looking at the stars, that a, that a star seems most bright and most beautiful when the sky around it seems most dark. So too with Christians, when it comes to our sufferings, when they're felt most deeply, that is when we experience God's comfort most richly. If you're like me, I ask the question to myself, why, does, why is it like this though? Why does God have to kind of work this way? Why can't it be comfort through comfort? Why comfort through suffering? That's a big question, and it's a bigger question than I've got time to answer this evening. And, and in some ways, it's the question that this whole book addresses. So come back, and um, we'll see more uh, about what that looks like. 
But I just want us to have a sneak preview to, to answer that question. Why does God work through uh, suffering this way? Turn with me to chapter 12, and uh, we'll have a look at verse 7. This is the uh, Apostle Paul, the guy writing this letter. This is what he says in verse 7, 1166. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul's suffering there, he describes it as a thorn in the flesh. And we're not told what that is exactly, but it was pretty bad because he pleads with the Lord three times to take it away. Take it away, Lord. Take it away, Lord take it away. And God's answer comes to him, no. But you see what God says? Because my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response, therefore, I will boast in my weakness all the more. If it means tasting Christ more richly, then I will boast in those weaknesses he says. See, there's something that God wants to give you more than your personal comfort, more than a life free of suffering. He wants to give you himself. God is the most joyful, life-giving, most satisfying being there is. And for him to be truly good, the best thing he can give you is himself. And here's the thing, that happens when we feel most weak, when we suffer most deeply. When we say there is no hope like Paul, but God. I don't say this lightly, and I don't say it to trivialize your suffering for one moment. But when when you suffer if you suffer, you are blessed. You might think that's a shocking thing to say, but let me remind you that James 1-2 says that we're to count it joy when we suffer. We're blessed when we suffer because God is doing something. God is going to show you his comfort more than you can imagine. Whatever you face, depression, ill health, bereavement, anxiety, stress, fear. That is an opportunity for God to show you his comfort. God comforts you in your suffering. Secondly, I want us to see that God, um, our suffering means it's an opportunity to comfort others. Uh, Turn with me back to chapter 1. It's going to be a little bit of page flicking, I'm afraid. Page 1158. 
Have a look at verse 4 with me. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, this is a bit I didn't read out, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And verse 6, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. I love those verses. They're, they're kind of like a, a comfort chain reaction. Do you see, do you see that? That God, he, he comforts Paul in his sufferings. But the comfort doesn't just stay with him and God. Actually, the comfort spills over into the Corinthian church. And I guess those people that suffer in the Corinthian church, the, the comfort would then spill over to them. But it's pretty, it's, it's, it's incredible really, because it's a kind of chain reaction that works back the other way as well. Have a look at chapter 7. This is the last bit of page flipping, I promise. Um, chapter 7, verse 5. Again, Paul uh, describes his suffering in verse 5. He says this, For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed on every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within, but God who comforts the downcasts comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also the comfort you had given him. Do you see that? Titus, um, Paul is harassed, he's waiting for Titus to arrive, and Titus comes to him and he comforts him. But it's not just Titus that comforts him, it's Titus comforts him with the comfort he's received from the Corinthian church. I know it's a lot of comfort, but it's working back the other way. There's comfort down from God, and there's comfort back up to Paul through Titus. The point is that as we suffer, God uses us to bring comfort to other people. You know, it's always better, isn't it, to, to receive help from someone who's gone through what you've gone through. I, I know when there's been incidents of particular suffering in my life that I've, I've sniffed those people out, people who have gone through the experience I've faced, and I've asked them to help me. Because there's something more comforting to ask for help from someone who's been there, who can put an arm around you and say, it will be okay. I know what this feels like. There's a great um, book on um, this kind of whole topic of suffering. Uh, it's called When God Weeps. It's written by Joni Erickson Tada, who's um, a lady who um, had a diving accident when she was a teenager and was paralyzed and so uh, lives in a wheelchair. And she wrote this book and she asked some, you know, these type of questions we've been thinking about tonight. And she describes this experience um, where she went to help with the uh, aftermath at the Oklahoma um, City bombings, where 168 people died. And uh, she uh, and her church were involved with some of the relief effort uh, in, uh, in the aftermath. She said this uh, about what happened. When I wheeled into the rest Red Cross Center, an officious woman wearing a white lab coat exclaimed, are we glad to see you? I looked over my shoulder. Did she mean me? Did she recognize me from an interview? Later, when I learned that she was in charge of the counseling services and didn't have a clue as to who I was, I asked why she welcomed me with open arms. 
Honey, I wish we had more people like you in wheelchairs volunteering during a crisis. When victims come in here for help and see someone like you handling their own personal crisis, it gives them hope. You are a powerful example to them, a promise that they too will survive their tragedy. I know it's not the most sensitive thing to say to someone in a wheelchair, but it does illustrate the, the, the relationship here very well, that Joni, in that horrific suffering she experienced, was able to understand something of other people's suffering, and she was able to bring them comfort in a particular way. And here's what Paul is doing here. This is what Paul's doing here. He suffers to the, the point of despairing of life, but he rejoices because he's able to bring comfort to those who suffer. And God does the same with you. I know you feel pretty useless when you suffer. You can think to yourself, how much use am I going to be? Or you say to yourself things like, when I'm better, then I'll be a help, but not now when I'm like this, I'll just be a burden to people. If you suffer, God has given you the best qualification for helping other people, for providing them comfort. I wonder if you realize that. When I've looked at this in the past, I've just thought to myself, I, I see that God comforts, and I see that we're to comfort others, but kind of how does that work? How, how is it that God comforts? I mean, I mean, what does that mean practically? Is that something we sort of feel? Is that something that we see? I mean, how does it work? And I want us to just finally just see how God comforts his people. Um, we're in chapter 7. I, I said there'd be no more page flicking, but I think you're still there. So chapter 7... Uh, verse 6. Um, we've seen it before. Paul says this, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, who comforts Paul in that verse? Do you see it? God. But then he says Titus. It's both, isn't it? So, God comforts the downcast. He comforted Paul, but how did he do it? Well, it's through the coming of Titus. And here's the thing I hadn't seen before. The way God comforts his children is through other people. God uses the suffering of others and the comfort he brings to them to, to bring comfort to you. If you ask the question, where do we experience God's comfort from? Well, I'm looking at them. It's you. When I saw this, it, it blew my mind. I thought, wow, the church has got a significant role, a really significant role. It's the means that God provides comfort to one another. Those little conversations you have, those chats that you sort of come away from and you think, have I had any impact? I'm not sure I said anything useful. They are the means God uses to comfort his children. He's designed it that way. I know for me, when I have faced um, little bits of suffering in the past, I know there's a little bit of me that's a bit, got a bit of pride about it. I don't know if it's a kind of male thing or a kind of young male thing. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But there's a kind of sense in which me, I've got to sort of kind of suck it up. 
kind of deal with it on my own. I don't let anyone else see what I'm feeling. But actually, God has given me others to comfort me. If I want to experience God's comfort, then it's going to come through other people. And if I want to comfort people, which I do, then I've got to give the comfort I've received from others. I don't know about you, there's just something very beautiful about this when I look at it. There's something very beautiful, isn't there, in God taking something as dark and seemingly hopeless as our suffering and turning it into abounding comfort and abounding goodness for people. And of course, it's not just a kind of clever idea God has got, a kind of clever way of doing things. No, it's something he experienced himself. See, Jesus Christ gave up his comfort. Jesus Christ suffered more than I have, more than Paul certainly did, and more than any of us will, to bring comfort to multitudes. See, Jesus gave up the comfort of heaven. He came to our world of suffering. He cried with us. He felt our pain. He died on a cross to give comfort to many. Jesus gave up the comfort of his relationship of favor with his heavenly Father. He drank the cup of his Father's wrath. He died so that we don't have to drink the cup ourselves. He poured out comfort to, to millions. And if you have that question kind of in the back of your head, I had it too, is this true? Is this worth trusting? Well, we've, we know it's true. It's happened in history. Jesus suffered to give us comfort. And in our own very, very tiny way, we reflect his wonder, we reflect his glory in our comfort of others. I don't know about you, there's just something very beautiful about that. I mean, even if you're not a Christian, you, you've got to admit there's something quite beautiful in that. I mean, no other belief system kind of works that way. Um, kind of belief systems, it's, I can't go through all of them now, but I guess they, they fall into two main categories. Uh, either we say that suffering is something that's just a reality, and we just have to accept it, and there's nothing you can do about it. We, we kind of need to just, just get on with living. Or we say that suffering is a, a kind of illusion, and it only comes because we have too much fixation on certain things in this life. Only the Christian message recognizes the pain of suffering and recognizes that abounding comfort can come through it. It came through the cross, and it comes through us as we suffer. Going back to our question at the beginning, how do we have the comfort, how do we face suffering like Paul faces it? Well, we need to rewrite our stories, don't we? We need to rewrite the stories we tell ourselves when suffering comes. Instead of those three little words, something is wrong, we need to tell ourselves this is an opportunity for comfort, an opportunity to experience our Heavenly Father's comfort more than we ever have and to share that comfort with others. Let's pray.
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that you desire to give, you, uh, give us yourself. That in our weakness, we're not, um, it's not a waste, but a chance to experience your power. Father, help us to rethink suffering. We're conscious, Father, how difficult uh, these things are, how difficult these things are to hear. But we pray, Father, for your Spirit's help. Please, Father, write these truths on our hearts so that when suffering comes or when we experience it, that we would not think that something's gone wrong, that we can trust you, that we can draw closer to you, and that we can delight in your power and grace towards us. Oh, Father, we need your help, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.